Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're discussing an introduction to nutrigenomics for runners. This is a relatively new approach to personalized nutrition, and it's in its infancy in the world of sports nutrition. But join us today to find out how nutrigenomics can help all runners and not just the elite athlete. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. everyone welcome back I'm Aileen and I'm here once again with Karen and as always before we get going we're going to share something personal with you about our nutritional running so today's question Karen is we're now at the beginning of March I can't believe how fast the year is going Uh, so spring's definitely on its way and I was wondering um, have you got a favorite springtime food that you're looking forward to coming into season at this time of year Yes, I do, Aileen. My favourite spring food is definitely asparagus. Um, however, I have to say March is still a little bit early for locally produced asparagus to appear in the shops. It tends to be in abundance, I would say, around May and then disappears again early June. And, and it's such a shame because it's got such a short season. Um, so I have to say because of that, I, I tend to indulge myself for several weeks. And I just every time I'm in the shops, I, I buy another bundle of asparagus and I like to have it raw and I just shave it into salads. Or I'll maybe lightly cook it and then drizzle it with lemon or maybe have it in a frittata or make a quiche. And and also, of course, there's asparagus soup. So there's just so much I do with it. And, yeah, I just sort of overindulge myself probably during that month. How about you? Do you have a favourite springtime food, Ailey? Um, I don't know whether I do have a favourite springtime food, but I think it's just nice to begin to eat lighter and um, uh, choose fresher flavors at this time of year and one of the things I, I really like is a, a springtime risotto one that's made with lots of herbs and some asparagus like you mentioned and sweet garden peas and maybe some shavings of courgette so a really nice green um, risotto and I like some lemon in it and some parmesan um, 
And that's a, a lovely post-run meal, um, and it makes a nice change from the winter root vegetables, which, which I love. But, you know, when we've been eating them for a few months, it's time for a change, I think. And uh, and if I need a little bit more protein, I'll maybe add some prawns or chicken. Um, so, it, you know, it gives me a it's, it looks lovely as well. Mm. Herby flavors in it. Mm. Okay, so um, that says uh, moving forward into spring. So mm. let's uh, introduce our topic for today, Karen. So um, we're going to be introducing everyone to nutrigenomics, and that's a relatively new approach to um, personalized nutrition. Uh, and it's certainly in its infancy within the world of sports nutrition. Um, but, you know, let's think about what does nutrigenomics actually mean. Um, well, it is in the Oxford Dictionary, and uh, they state that it's a scientific study of the interaction of nutrition and genes, especially with regard to the prevention or treatment of disease. So um, I remember when we were students, Karen, this was like, you know, it was sort of breaking news really 10 years ago, and now it, it is something that people talk about. So it's um, it's really great how it's all moved on in the last uh, decade. Um, today, we're going to be talking um, about um, how to introduce um, nutrigenomics into um, your plan as a, as a runner. Um, so we're going to talk about how it's currently being explored and adapted as an approach to personalized nutrition for athletic performance. And the three questions that we're asking today is, why is nutrigenomics an area of science worth highlighting to you as a runner? Uh, we're going to consider some specific foods and nutrients that are linked to nutrigenomics and, and performance, and also talk about how this knowledge could be put into practice for you as a runner. So, Karen, let's let's start looking at the why, the why of nutrigenomics. Why is it worth highlighting today, and how can it be beneficial to a runner? Well, interesting questions, Aileen. And I think probably many people will have heard of the phrase, our genes load the gun, but it's our lifestyle and environment that pulls the trigger. Um, I really like that phrase. And it's certainly one that we've used in other podcast episodes and on our other um, social media platforms as well. And what is meant by this phrase is that, you know, we may have a particular or carry a particular particular um, risk gene for something. However, the gene requires something, so linked to our environment or our lifestyle, to either turn it on or switch it off to make it express itself negatively. So the idea is, if we were to know more about our individual genetics, could we potentially avoid pulling that trigger? So and that's what we're going to kind of be looking at today. Now, in the world of sports nutrition, athletes and their coaches, like you say, it's in its infancy, Aileen, but they're just beginning to utilise genetic testing as a way of gaining a competitive edge through enhancing performance and improving recovery, as well as looking at general health as well. Now, what this does is it ensures that recommendations are effective at a truly individual level. There's no one size fits all approach at all in using genetics. 
and the information provided from the testing is being um, found, and they've they've sort of linked this through research that they've done, that um, it leads to enhancing an athlete's motivation and engagement with recommended changes to their training, to their nutrition and their general lifestyle. Because they've got this genetic evidence, they're more willing to engage in making the changes. Now, I have to say that genetic testing per se is well established, um, but the approach of using genetic testing and genomic information to help modify an athlete's response to nutrients and to their training is still in this experimental phase. So, so research is ongoing. Yeah, and I, I liked what you were saying there about um, engaging motivation. And I think, you know, with everything, um, all clients, runners or otherwise, when people understand the reason behind something, often that's the thing that allows them to go forward and make the changes. Um, so I think it's an interesting um angle on it all um so so we know that establishing a genetic profile of an athlete through genetic testing could result in this personalized approach to nutrition uh, and also potentially to their training and general health but thinking about the nutrition aspect of it uh what would a targeted nutrition approach be focusing on for a runner or or any athlete really and that's a really good question, Alien. So, so really, this is thinking about the why of nutrigenomics. Now, it is thought that this targeted and individualized nutritional approach through genetic testing could help achieve for an athlete optimal overall health, as we've already mentioned, but also um, potentially help them optimise their body composition and also their exercise performance. So, for example, the recovery from training and also reducing that risk of injury. Also, it's linked to um, optimizing many metabolic pathways. Now, it is widely accepted that there are genetic differences and these genetic differences influence the way an individual absorbs and metabolizes nutrients and phytonutrients, but also Um, It influences the nutrient uptake, utilisation and excretion um, of all of these, the nutrients and the phytonutrients. And this, again, like I say, can affect the metabolic pathways positively or negatively. Um, And this is commonly known as the gene diet interaction. So understanding more about the genetics can help to optimise these metabolic pathways. Mm. I suppose what we're saying here is that by achieving these optimal outcomes, that's the thing that will give the athlete the competitive edge that they're, they're craving. Yeah, Exactly, Alien, and that is how it's potentially being used, um, certainly looking at using it going forward. And it's also potentially a way of um, gaining a competitive edge, like you say, that is safe, effective and legal. So then the athlete's not going to have any issues with WADA. And that's always on an athlete's mind, um, certainly club level and above, and certainly with elite and professional athletes. Athletes are always concerned about WADA. Now, I think it is worth remembering that 
many practitioners, including ourselves, do use a personalised approach to an athlete's health and performance anyway. And that really is the essence of the functional medicine approach to care. However, we also know that runners, and I think also, you know, really all athletes, they respond differently to the same foods and nutrients and different supplements that they consume as well. And understanding these differences through the genetic testing could possibly lead to that pinnacle, that pinnacle of personalised nutrition. So we do use it. We use personalised nutrition, but this is taking it to another level, really. And the ACSM, so that American College of Sports Medicine that we speak about quite often, states that personalised nutrition for the individual is moving nutrigenomics research from basic science into practice. So um, so it would appear that it could be mainstream in the future. So it's still in its infancy at the moment, but it's heading in the direction of potentially being mainstream. Mm. Good. So, so we've learned quite a bit already. And um, Karen, you've helpfully given us an introduction to some of the genetic uh, terms and we'll we'll talk about some of them as we go along um, and we're aware that genetic testing in the world of sports nutrition is is being used to help athletes gain a competitive edge through optimizing a variety of different things including body composition metabolic pathways recovery from training uh, and other performance related outcomes um, and it's it's also important to remember that this is a relatively um, new approach to sports nutrition, um, but more research and studies, you know, will will evolve and that will help confirm the outcomes. Um, although I think, it, you know, from a science research point of view, when everybody's so different, it's going to be really difficult to do that from a controlled research point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm sure people will find a way of doing it. So, um, so let's move on now and talk about some of the specific foods and nutrients um, that you know are typical uh, that we we talk about uh, for runners and how genetics may influence how they're being used by the body. And I think we might have touched on some of these in previous episodes. Um, but the, the ones that are top of mind that I think there's a lot of research done on Karen are um, caffeine, iron, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin A, folate, um, B12 and calcium. And, and, you know, the list goes on. But I thought for today we could choose three to discuss. So um, the three that I thought would be good to have a look at would be caffeine, um, mainly because that's one um ergogenic aid that a lot of people use and we could also discuss iron and b12 because they're both associated with energy and many runners either suffer from low energy or they want to maintain high levels of energy so i think that would be a good selection what do you think karen yeah i would agree with those alien there i think they're all really pertinent to performance outcomes for a runner and what i would just add here alien before we discuss these nutrients is that it is important not to use outcomes from genetic testing alone. They should really be used in conjunction with other types of testing as well. So, for example, I'm thinking here of potential um 
blood tests, urine tests. And and this is actually being classed as or termed as test pairing. So you're using genetic testing um, as well as other forms of testing. So the, the genetic testing is known as genotype testing and that blood and urine testing is the phenotype testing. So you're pairing those up and also lo- using other aspects of the functional medicine approach to ensure that um, the outcomes and the results are accurate for that individual. So, um, so those are all things that would need to be taken into consideration. Okay, so that that really does make a lot of sense, Karen, and I think it's a really important um, point to make because, you know, there's so much more to genetics that makes an individual um, that we've got to, you know, take all those different aspects into um, into account, um, their, particularly their individual health and performance requirements and sort of um, it's, I think genetic testing is a way of directing us to know what to consider uh, and then as you say matching it up with um, what is actually happening um, and what potentially could happen in the future so um, let's move on now and um, look at these three nutrients that we mentioned so we'll start with caffeine uh, which is actually the most widely researched compound in the field of nutrigenomics and we dedicated an episode to caffeine uh, which I found really interesting and um, we we talked a lot about caffeine as a well-researched ergogenic aid and that was in episode 69 is caffeine good for running um so that's a, a good one to listen alongside we'll do episode pairing here karen if we do <laughs> pairing we can do episode pairing um so um episode 69 is one to to look for um so karen what can you tell us about the genetic variants for caffeine and how they can affect and modify a runner's response to health and their performance well i have to say that the the information is quite detailed it's quite scientific but what i will try and do is keep it as simple as possible for for all of us um now i think we probably all know that caffeine is found naturally in the likes of coffee, tea, cocoa, but also in guarana. Some people might have heard of guarana, some people not. And it is a plant that's native to the Amazon basin. And the seeds are really similar to the to the coffee bean. And again, they're naturally it's naturally high in caffeine. But also you find caffeine in um in gels, in tablets, in chews as a performance enhancer. So there's lots of different ways of, of um consuming uh, caffeine. Now, like we said earlier, many people use caffeine as an ergogenic aid and Some of you will find that it works really well, um, reducing perception of effort and also increasing speed. But for some others of you, including myself, um, you might find that it has the opposite effect. So it slows you down. It makes you feel jittery. Your head feels a bit woolly and your, your run actually feels much harder. Now, this could be linked to your ge- genetic makeup. So with caffeine, um, The genetic variations within that caffeine metabolism means that you're either a fast or a slow metabolizer. Now, it's it's what's known as these SNPs, and some people might have heard of them, and that that, that their full name is single nucleotide polymorphisms. 
but it's these SNPs found in certain genes that's used to determine whether you are a fast or a slow metabolizer of caffeine. So this is where the genetic testing comes in. Now, slow metabolizers are thought to be at increased risk of heart attack, hypertension, prediabetes from um, an increased consumption of caffeine. So, so what I would say there is that it's um, it's it's about some it's it's sometimes about the amount that's consumed. It doesn't mean to say you got to remove caffeine completely. It could be um, be about the amount, and if you if you overindulge or you have a high caffeine intake habitually, then it increases the risk of these um, conditions if you're a slow responder. And um, so so you might be able to tolerate a certain amount, but again, that certain amount is going to be very individual. So everybody is going to be different. So compare this to fast metabolizers. Now, they just don't appear to have carry any of these risks. And also, um, I think looking at caffeine, different genetic variations, again, will determine how caffeine affects sleep. So for some people, it could delay the onset of sleep, decrease the depth of sleep, and also the time spent in non-rapid eye movement, so that non-REM sleep. But then for others, it doesn't have the same effect. So I think I think it potentially does have some effect, but maybe to a much lesser extent. Yeah, I'm remembering now we did talk about a lot about this in episode 69. Uh, yeah. So it's definitely worth going back and listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's um, I think with caffeine, it's it's something like probably people already know, but just doing that test will confirm with them that that's what they have to do. You know, they have to if they're a slow metabolizer, they've got to. Um, change their practices yes absolutely because i think a lot of people maybe um experience some symptoms but think but caffeine's a good i'm a runner and caffeine is 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 an ergogenic aid it's supposed to help my performance so they can't quite understand why it's not correlating Mm. so it could be that it's it's genetically linked okay so thanks for that insight karen so now let's move on and think about the genetic variations of iron and how that could affect health and performance of a runner and again i'm thinking of episode pairing it's my new phrase Uh, we did did an episode um back episode 25 uh which was iron woman so that was all about um why iron is important for a female runner and um so we we do know that iron is important for our running and, and it's well known that athletes are at risk of iron deficiency anemia besides the general population so let's have a look at what influence our, our genes have on this so there there are several genetic variations associated with blood iron levels and there is one in particular the hfe gene uh, which is involved in the regulation of iron absorption from gi tract and remember that absorption of iron is is the principal uh, way of regulating iron levels. So variations in this HFE gene, um, which I have to stress is not very common, um, but where it exists, uh, it's shown to have increased the risk of iron overload or the condition known as hemochromatosis um, due to a lack of um, control of iron absorption and that's a really serious condition 
um, as iron overload is toxic to the body and it can lead to cell and tissue damage, including muscle and, and ultimately cell death. Um, so there, there are two SNPs in the HFE gene, uh, which can be used to predict the risk of uh, this um, iron overload. Um, and individuals can be categorized into low, medium or high risk for iron overload. Yeah, yeah, it is really interesting. This, and I did actually have a have a client who um, had hemochromatosis, actually. But interestingly, she had really low iron levels, and I think that's, you know, that that highlights the fact that these genes are risk factors, but they're not necessarily expressed because she was still, um, so she was suffering from low iron, although she had the gene for hemochromatosis. So mm. Interesting. But just to add what you um, have said, Aileen, you know, it has been suggested that athletes with this increased risk of hemochromatosis may have a performance advantage if iron levels remain at the higher end of normal. So, and I stress the higher end of normal, not tipping into the excessive amounts which then would cause the cell damage. So, so it is a really fine balance, but it's just research has sort of suggested that, that it, it might actually be advantageous for performance. And also I would add here that anyone with a medium high risk of iron overload shouldn't be taking any iron supplements because um, this could lead to the poor health and poor performance outcomes. So um, so not to, to, to embark on supplementation and, and to be working with um, a professional or a medical um, a medical doctor. Now, um, just before we move on, I also just wanted to say a little bit about low iron status in genetics. Now, there are three SNPs that can assess the risk of low iron status. And this risk is primarily linked to um, um, SNPs involved in hepcidin production. And we have spoken about hepcidin again in episode 25, Iron Women. And this is a hormone that helps control iron absorption. So what it does is hepcidin binds to iron in the, the GI tract, so in the intestinal tract, therefore preventing it being absorbed and promoting its excretion. So these SNPs um, are also thought to be linked to uh, low hemoglobin, low ferritin and also low blood cell count, therefore, again, leading to overall low iron status. So that is that is the sort of the genetic link to somebody who maybe frequently is low in iron and finding that they're always needing to take supplement supplements. So the other side of the coin. Yeah, and I, I, I suppose if, if that was something that was highlighted in a, a genetic profile, the, the, the action that um, the client might want to take is to be regularly tested so they knew what their iron status was. So that would be a, a practical way of using that information. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the same uh, on the flip side of that with the high iron mm. um, is just to, to check that you you are staying within the 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 safe levels yeah okay so let's have a quick look at the gene variations for vitamin b12 and how that can affect health and running performance and i don't think we've got a solo episode on b12 currently yeah. so 
not pairing. <laughs> no, that's right. Absolutely. No pairing this time, Aileen. <laughs> okay, to address that one. Okay, over to you then, B12. Okay, so the variations for B12 are in one particular uh, gene known as the FUT2 gene, and it's thought to increase the risk of vitamin B12 deficiency, but only in the presence of low dietary intake of B12. And um, so, again, the FUT2 gene is important for that absorption, but also the transportation of B12 between cells. And this is why individuals who possess the risk variant of FUT2 are at increased risk of this B12 deficiency. But like I say, only in the presence of low B12 um, intake. Now, remember, B12 is predominantly found in meat and fish. So as a result, I would say it's important um, that vegans and some vegetarians ensure that they they do eat um, the foods that are fortified with B12 and or supplement B12 so that they're not moving into that that low B12 um, intake. Because if they do have the risk gene, it's going to put them further into insufficiency and deficiency. Okay, okay. So um, I think we better move on, Karen. I'm just looking at the time. But before we do, can we just, um, I just wanted to know if you think there's any particular female factors that we need to consider. Yes, well, I suppose for this one, Aileen, not especially because genetics are so individual. Um, But what might be worth mentioning here is, um, and we speak about it like again in episode 25, so Iron Woman, is that um, females tend to be at increased risk of iron deficiency anyway due to um, the menstrual cycle. And generally, it's thought a lower overall energy food intake compared to males. Now, that wouldn't always be the case. But um, in, in, in many cases, they have an overall lower energy and food intake. So if they also have the risk gene for low iron status, then their risk of iron deficiency anemia would be even further elevated. So really, I think that's about the only one that comes to mind. To, to, to more. Yeah. I mean, just another female factor on, on iron is when you are sort of going through that menopausal phase and you're not having periods that there's sometimes a, a phase of a few months or a year where your iron levels are higher than normal. Um, and that's just because you're not losing blood every month. Um, mm. So uh, that's just another anomaly that can happen to women at that time of life. Yeah. And again, thinking about going into that toxicity levels of of iron, if iron levels are high, this is a time when it it potentially um, just avoiding supplementation would be encouraged and just getting it from your food. Mm. So thanks for that, Aileen. So hopefully everybody's feeling a little bit more knowledgeable knowledgeable on the influence um, our genetic makeup could have on our health and our running performance. But I think just to say, remember, we are discussing risk here. It's not definitive expression of these genes and uh, or the SNPs on the genes. 
Hence why I think it's important to utilise the genetic information alongside the other test results and also taking into consideration your own individual needs and preferences. So Aileen, before we move on, I just think this might be a good time to take an advert break. So I'm going to hand over to you. Okay, thank you. Um, So this is the moment in the um, episode where Karen and I just um, tell you a little bit about what we're doing outside of the podcast. But today we're actually staying inside the podcast because we're asking you for some help. And uh, we'd really like you to um, help us reach more runners. And one way that you could do that is by leaving us a review on iTunes. Um, we, we're actually listed on lots of different podcast platforms, but iTunes seems to be the place that potential listeners check out reviews before they listen to an episode. And we'd be really grateful if uh, in your busy life, you could just take out a couple of minutes just to leave a few words and describe what you enjoy um, about the, the podcast and, and what episodes that have been helpful to you. Um, so if you've got that you know, a couple of minutes to do that and you could leave us a review. What we'd like to do is enter you into our podcast review free prize draw. And um, we it's a, a draw that we have every month. And uh, if you're the lucky winner, you get the chance to win uh, a choice of either um, a food diary review, uh, Zoom consultation with us, um, or you could also choose a guest pass to our Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners video program. So it's a really simple thing to do. Um, all you need to do is get your phone out, open up the Apple podcast app, which is a little purple logo that you'll find on your phone. Um, go to the icons at the bottom of the screen and, and look for the search uh, magnifying glass icon and search for, for our show, which is She Runs These Performs. Click on the show, not the episode. So again, you'll you'll find um, the Turkish Square with the white lady. We call we call her the white lady, and it'll say she runs eats perform. So just click on that uh, box, and if you scroll all the way down past the episodes, you'll find ratings and reviews, and it gives you an opportunity to write a review. So there's some purple writing. You just need to click on that. Type a few sentences about um, how you found us, what you like about us. Um, is there a favourite part of the episodes that you enjoy or a favourite episode? Um, anything that, you know, just floats your boat, really. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And then what we'd ask you to do is take a screenshot of your review before you hit submit on the review um, and email us that screenshot to hello at runnershealthhub.com and then um, attach that copy of that screenshot to your email. Uh, and the reason we ask you to do that is it sometimes takes a little bit of time for your review to show up on the um, Apple iTunes page. And uh, if you email us, we will then know it's you that sent it because sometimes we've, we won't use like nicknames on podcast reviews and we don't know who you are. Uh, but if we know it's you, then we, we know how to enter you into the draw and then we can uh, let you know if you're, if you're a winner. So we, we announce the winner on the first of every month and uh, your name's added into the draw every month. Uh, so you've got 12 chances to uh, win every year. 
And we started the competition back in December. And so we've had three winners so far. We've had Judy, we've had Kay and Julie. So it's been really lovely that they've all had an opportunity to do some work with us, um, which is our gift to you as a, as a thank you. Um, so I'll get your reviews in and see if you can win next month. Absolutely. We look forward to receiving them and then announcing the winner um, each month. So thanks for that, Aileen. So now let's move on and think about how this knowledge that we've gained could be put into practice practice for you as runners. And should you put it into practice? I think the short answer to that question is yes, because really the information gained could be invaluable, but also empowering. But What I think maybe could be challenging is choosing the correct test or tests, whatever it may be, and choosing an appropriate and reputable testing company. Also, I think knowing how to interpret and utilise the results um, that you get sort of most effectively to support your health and running performance. So I think, yes, definitely doing the the genetic testing it's just about the company and the interpretation of the results now i think the best way would be to engage with a professional who's trained in analysing genetic test results. Now, Aileen and I would be able to support you with this, um, absolutely, and we could uh, recommend companies that we work with. So if this is something that you would be interested in, then do please get in touch with us by email at hello at runnershealthhub.com and we'll be here to help you out and um, give you direction and advice. Great. Yeah, I think that's um, a really good point, Karen, because there's lots of tests available and you need to know that you're getting the one that's going to help you find out the things that you need to find out and not just be something that's um, a novelty. You know, we want it to be something that's really helpful. Um, So I just wanted to reiterate what we've already said, that um, the nutrigenomic testing with relation to sports performance is still in its infancy and and it shouldn't be used alone so we mentioned earlier the phenotype testing is also important so uh, blood and urine testing but by working with a practitioner preferably a functional medicine um, practitioner or nutritionist um, will help you um, focus on personalized nutrition um, as well as um, using the information that we've gained from your test to get you um, a plan that will help you um, reach reach the goals that you want to reach. Um, so with functional nutrition or functional medicine, uh, we're focused on, on personalised nutrition, looking at um, an individual's sex, their age, what symptoms they're presenting with, um, their strengths and weaknesses, their personal dietary preferences, uh, and possibly um, also intolerance, intolerances and, and allergies too. So all of this is really key information to the mapping of a runner. It's not just uh, one element of it. DNA testing alone can sometimes lead to fear and anxiety in a runner. Um, so I know when I had mine done a long time ago, um, you know, there was all sorts of information, almost like too much information it was a bit of information overload and it's helpful for somebody to pull out the things that are really of use to you and and people can be anxious about some of the things that it's telling you it could be 
you know, you might be fearful of having a sports injury or an inflammatory conditions, but you've got to remember all the test is doing is telling you that you're at risk. It doesn't mean that you are going to have this. Um, but what if the if the results are saying one thing? Um, so it's saying that you are high risk, but you don't have any presenting symptoms. So you you're actually at low risk. So I think that's what is um, what that's really saying is that um, the risk is there, but the genes are not being currently expressed in a negative way. So that's going back to what Karen was saying right at the beginning. You know that you you've you've not loaded the gun you're not pulling the trigger because you're actually living and looking after yourself in a way that's um protecting you i think that would be the way i would describe it um so i think the the approach is really to create a diet and lifestyle that will keep those genes under control and then you're minimizing the risk of anything going wrong yeah yeah i would agree with that you know i think that's a really good way of putting it is that you know it, it is that if the results might say that you've got the risk gene, so you're high risk. But if you're not presenting with the symptoms, you haven't triggered the um, the SNPs. Um, and therefore, uh, all the work that you do is about maintaining that so that you don't potentially move into triggering it. You're keeping those those SNPs under control and minimising that risk of them of them being triggered. So, so yeah, I like that. Good. Okay. So really what we're saying is that a multidisciplinary approach to care is essential. Um, always having the athlete and their health and performance goals at the heart of any decision and any testing um, that's that's planned. Um, and we think that's a, an area that we'll hear so much more about in the future. Um, and I think it's something that we'll all just learn to rely on it will be part of our health plans um but karen just to round up today would you give us your key takeaways yeah absolutely aileen so really nutrigenomics for runners and all athletes um uses what i was saying earlier the genomic technologies and genetic information to address issues important to both nutrition but also health body composition and performance and nutrigenomics as we've said several times is still in its infancy when relating it to sports performance However, it would appear to be here to stay, but more research is needed into it. Remember, our genes load the gun, but our lifestyles and environment pull the trigger. So even if we have an at-risk gene, it does not mean that it has to be expressed like we were just explaining earlier. Genetic testing alone is not necessarily helpful. A functional medicine approach to care alongside other tests, so the blood and urine test potentially would be far more beneficial to an athlete and to a runner. There are many nutrients that have been studied for their genetic variants. However, some that are pertinent to a runner include the caffeine, iron and vitamin B12 that we have discussed today. If you are considering 
DNA testing to support your health and running performance. Um, remember that um, reputable companies are important. We really recommend um, working with a professional who is trained or certified in interpreting these test results and who can give you an appropriate and personalized nutrition and lifestyle recommendation um, plan. So, and and Aileen and I are certainly here to to support you if that's something that you are interested in. And that's it, Aileen. Okay, thanks so much, Karen. And remember, everyone, uh, we're qualified in interpreting DNA results for certain companies. Uh, so, do contact us if you would like our support. And in the meantime, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for women's changing bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband, which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at AmazingJane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. Mm-hmm.